The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Peter's been in the process of encouraging uh, these believers in uh, what is modern-day Turkey in their suffering and in his encouragement in, to them. Um, it's also encouragement to us in our suffering. That's been uh, the, the larger context that we've been looking at now for um, a couple of months. And we saw last week one of these encouragements that Peter offers them is this, this truth, the reality that Christ is coming again. Peter says that the end of all things is at hand. And we talked last week about what that means. And um, just to sort of boil it down, the return of Christ is the next event in redemptive history. There is nothing that stands in the way of the return of Jesus. It could be at any moment. And when he returns, he is bringing with him a righteous judgment. That's um, the, the beginning part of chapter 4. That there is a judgment coming when Christ comes again. And Christ could come again at any moment. And it is from this realization that Peter then lists six ways that we are to live in light of the coming of Christ. And so that's um, what we started looking at last week, that the, the end of all things is at hand. Christ could, could come at any minute. Therefore, for this reason, and then Peter begins to list these ways to live. Last week, we looked at the first two, which is to be self-controlled and to be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And we saw last week how these two things uh, work together, how they are looking uh, differently at just one aspect of having a, a clarity of mind or a clarity of thought, that there's to be a, a clarity of thought about ourselves and there's to be a clarity of thought about spiritual things, to be sober-minded and to be self-controlled. The next two um, also work together, much like the, the previous two worked together. And that is that we are to be a people who are living with love and hospitality. Living with love and hospitality. And what I hope to see from the text this morning is four things about this love that we are called to live with. Four things from these two verses. Here they are if you're a note taker so you'll know where we're headed. The excellency of love. The extent of love. The effect of love. And the expression of love. The excellency of love, the extent of love, the effect of love, and the expression of love. Now, before we get there, I do think it's important for us to see exactly what type of love that this is that Peter is calling us to live with, right? In light of the coming of Christ, he could come at any moment, therefore... 
Be self-controlled and sober-minded and keep loving one another earnestly. This is a specific kind of love that Peter calls us to. There are, in the Greek language, differing levels of uh, or, or intensities of love. These are represented in the Greek in the use of four different words for love. So we have just sort of one all-encompassing word for love, and that is love. But for the Greek, there, there are different levels, different intensities, different meanings of love that are, are manifested in the use of four different words. And each word means um, something different as it pertains to love. There is the word storge. It is not used very often in God's word, but it has to do with a natural affection or an obligation towards someone. This is a love that's just sort of a, of a common outpouring, a, a natural affection towards one, or it is sort of an, an uh, obligatory love, like you feel obligated to love this person, so you you love them. It's it's a, it's a love that um, is is void of very much um, depth. It's the word storge. That's not the word that Peter uses here. This is not the love that that Peter's talking about here. There's also uh, phileo. This is um, a brotherly love. This is a brotherly love. This is a, a, a love, a word that's used throughout God's word. It speaks of a fondness or a friendship or a kinship one to another. The kind of love that a brother would have for a brother. This is not the love that, that Peter uses here. This isn't the love that Peter's talking about here. There is uh, phileo, or I'm sorry, there is uh, eros, which is a love of passion or a romantic love or an emotional love. Not only is this not the word that Peter uses here, this word isn't used anywhere in God's word. This isn't the love that Peter is talking about. And then lastly, there is agape love. And it is the grandest of all loves. It is a love that is focused on the preciousness of the object. It is a love that is found in God. When God says that he is love, this is what he means. It is a love that originates in his nature. And it's not brought about by the merit or the importance of the object. It is not a love that is determined by receiving love. This is a love that keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive or unkind or unlovable or unworthy. This is an unconditional love. Unconditional love. The love here that Peter's talking about, 
that we're to love one another with is an agape kind of love. A God-given, God-originating, unconditional love. Now, this is important for us to see and for us to understand because this influences and brings understanding to what Peter is calling us to in these verses. He's calling us to a specific kind of love, an unconditional love. And we learn four things about this love, and the first is, is the excellency of this kind of love. And Peter says it this way, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Now, when Peter says, above all, keep loving, what he is doing is he is drawing our attention to a love that is supreme. When he says, above all, what Peter means in that is that this is a love that is supreme. Supreme. It's not that this kind of love This kind of life is to be lived in place of other things. When Peter says, above all, he's not saying just disregard what I said about being self-controlled and disregard what I have to say about being sober-minded and disregard what I'm going to have to say about serving one another with the gifts that God has given you. Um, All you need to worry about is loving one another. It's not what Peter's saying here. He's not saying just disregard all these other things. What Peter is is telling us and what Peter is showing us is that this kind of life, a life that is marked out by an unconditional God-given love is above these things. It's higher than these things. It's greater than these things. This is an An excellent love. One thing uh, that I read from a commentator this week said that this love is a canopy that covers all the things that Christ has given us to do. And I liked that imagery that Jesus has given us all sorts of things to do and he's given us all sorts of ways to live. But above them all, there is a great canopy that stretches and covers them all and that is the canopy of an agape love. It covers all things. It is, this kind of love is what ties all things together. Colossians 3, starting in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive. Now, those are some great things, right? Those are some great characteristics of how to live our lives. As God's chosen ones, we are to put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility humility and meekness and patience and uh, forbearance and forgiveness. Those are great things. But then verse 14, and above all these, 
put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is this love that binds all things together. It is this love that enables us to live this kind of way. I think that's really what what Paul is saying here. You, You put on these things, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness. You put on these things, but above and beyond all of these things, you put on love because it is an agape, unconditional love that enables us to live this way. It is this love that gives the strength and the power of our lives in ministry, right? So we are all, every believer is engaged in ministry, Every one of us. That's not just me. That's not just Jacob. That's every single one of us. If we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's called us out of darkness into his kingdom of light. He's gifted us with gifts and he's called us to use those gifts in the ministry or the service of other people. That's, that's verse 10, 11, and 12. And the strength to live a life marked by this ministry And the power of this ministry comes out of love. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. All of the Christian service in the world doesn't amount to very much if it's done without Love. It's this kind of love that Paul calls us to, and it's this kind of love that Peter calls us to, that gives us the strength and the power for the ministry of service that he's called us to. It's also this kind of love that's above all other things, that sets us out, that marks us out as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way in John 13, starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how is the world going to know that we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? How are they going to know we're followers of Jesus? How are they going to know that we're the real thing? The way they're going to know is through our love one to another. This is what God has called us to. The reason why this is what God has called us to is because this is what God has called us with. Do you notice what Jesus says here? That this is the kind of love with which he has loved us. And this is why this kind of love is the most excellent way. Why it is the highest of virtues. Because it finds its origin in God's love for us. 
All of these characteristics that Jesus is calling us to is important and they must be obeyed. But love is supreme. This is the excellency of love. But we also see in Peter's words the extent of this love. Above all, Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly. God is calling us to a kind of love that lasts, that lasts. Notice what what Peter says here. Above all, keep loving. Keep loving. So when I read this, for me, there's, there's two, at least two implications of this word keep. The first is that we have already started living this way, right? I mean, Peter's not gonna tell us to keep doing something if we haven't started doing something, right? So there is an implication here in the apostle Peter that these brothers and sisters in these churches and by extension, us in this church that we have started living this way. And there's a reason why Peter makes this assumption. And it is because he has already called them to this kind of love, right? First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So Peter's already called this church to this kind of love. And Peter's already called this church to this kind of love. I mean, we we went over that verse, what, a year ago? We've already been called to this kind of life. We've already been called to this kind of love. So when Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly, the implication here is that we've already started. The second implication that that I see in this word keep is that this kind of love will be tested. Right? If this kind of love wouldn't be tested, then there's no reason for Peter to extol us to keep loving one another. Why would he have to tell us to keep loving one another if this kind of love one for another would not be tested? But it is tested. It is tested. Keep loving, Peter says, one another. What does Peter mean when he says one another? What he means there is keep loving believers. Keep loving believers. There is a kind of love that we have for other believers that we do not have for the world. And I think that's an important distinction. It's a distinction that Peter's making. And I think it's an important distinction for us to make. That's not to say that we're not called to to love those who are in the world, right? We're, We're not called to love the world, But we certainly have love for those who are in the world. But there is a special kind of love that is marked out for other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I also think the implication here is that of a local church. Because Peter is writing to local churches. That there's a special kind of love that we're called to have for those who have joined together in the body of a local congregation. Keep loving one another, Peter says. 
Keep loving. This love is going to be tested, but even when it's tested, keep loving. And then, and then Peter uses this, this qualifier just to drive home the point. Keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly. This is the word that would be used for a runner at the finish line as they stretch out to pass the, the finish line. It, it's, it's, that's the imagery here. A runner stretching out or a horse stretching out after a long race when they get to the end as they cross the finish line to stretch out. What I believe that Peter's telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to keep loving all the way to the end. Don't give up. Even if it stretches you, even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, don't give up on this kind of love, this excellent covering love. Don't give up on it. Stretch it out all the way to the end. You see, there is an excellency to this love. It is above all. There is an extent to this love that we are to keep loving earnestly. And then there is an effect to this love. Peter says it this way, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is the effect of our love. This is the motivation of loving. The fact that this kind of love covers a multitude of sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, first, Peter here, and most commentators agree, is quoting directly from the Old Testament. This is a a direct quotation from the Old Testament, Proverbs 10 Verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, I bring that to our attention first because it speaks to the fact that this isn't just some random one-time proclamation, right? This isn't Peter just saying, oh, okay, love covers a multitude of sins. No, this has been seen throughout God's word. This was true in the Old Testament. This is true in the New Testament. This is true today. This kind of love, this excellent agape, uh, above all love, this canopy that covers, that lasts, works to cover A multitude of sin. So what does that mean? Well, first, I'll give you one option. Some say it is a reference to God's love for us, right? That his love for us covers our sins. That's absolutely true. God loved us even when we didn't love him. It's his love that covers our sins. It was the love of God, his love for us that brought Jesus Christ to the cross, to be offered up as the sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. His love covers our sins. That's absolutely true. But I do not believe that is what Peter is saying here. 
Because the whole point of what Peter's saying here has to do with our love one for another, not God's love for us. Right? And secondly, I think that the dichotomy drawn in Proverbs 10 helps us understand the meaning here in 1 Peter 4. Peter's quoting directly from the Old Testament. He takes the last part of that verse and he quotes it directly. But there is in Proverbs 10 a dichotomy that's that's drawn, right? Two differing pictures, one of hatred and one of love, right? Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. This helps us understand what Peter means. And here's the reality that when we hate someone, we want to take their sins and we want to expose them. We want to magnify them. If you don't have love for another, if instead there's hatred in your heart and bitterness in your heart and there is a sin that is committed by them, then the natural inclination of a heart of hatred is to stir up strife to expose them, to magnify their sin. That's what hatred does, right? I hate them, therefore I'm going to magnify everything that they've ever done wrong. That's what hate does. But when we love someone with an unconditional love, we want the best for them, and you do not want to unnecessarily expose them. Right? When we have love for one another and they sin against us or they commit sin, our heart for them is not to expose them. It's not to stir up strife. It's not to ridicule them. It's not to mock them. It's not to gossip about them. When you have love for them, instead, you want to protect them. Wayne Grudem says it like this. Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some larger ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion and every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. Listen, when a church is marked out by this kind of love and somebody says something and you're like, well, what did they mean by that? Well, why did they say that? Well, I wonder what they were thinking. Well, I wonder who else feels that way. Well, I wonder what I did to make them think that way. And your mind starts running and your mind starts racing and you start wondering that it doesn't happen to anybody else. When that kind of expression is present in a church, there is strife that's created. There's disunity that's created. Instead of being together, filled with unconditional agape love for one another, and somebody says something that hurts you, and instead you say, oh, I'm sure they didn't mean it. 
or they probably didn't mean it that way, or I probably misunderstood it, or they're probably having a bad day, or maybe there's something bigger going on in their life, and I'm not going to hold that against them. But you see the difference? To say that love covers a multitude of sin means that all of those small offenses that the devil's hoping will break our unity are covered over by an unconditional love for one another. When we have a, this kind of love one for another, we don't want to separate people out from others who love them. But when a church is not marked by this kind of love and sin is present, what happens? We, set, we, we, we go there. They're separating them out from everyone else that, that loves them. And they need to get what they deserve. And they need to get what's coming to them. That's not love. That's not love that covers a multitude of sin. Now this is not that you just pass over sins or pretend that they never happened. That is not what I'm saying. I do not believe that is what Peter is saying. But instead, you cover them over with love and grace. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You see that? When he says repeats a matter, that's not repeating the sin. That's goes over and tells somebody else. Whoever covers an offense, seek love. Covers it up. Not passes over it, but covers it over in love. Out of a desire and a love and an affection for another to say, I don't want this to get anywhere else. I don't want this to go any further. Because the further this, this goes, the worse it is for this person. That's a person who seeks love. But whoever goes and repeats that matter to another person separates close friends. This is exactly what we see in Matthew chapter 18 as Jesus tells us how to deal with sin in the church. Here's what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, what is that? That is a love that covers a multitude of sins. You go to your brother alone. Why? Out of a love and a care for them to protect them and to protect the unity of the church. You go to them alone. And if they repent, you gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, you take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence or two or three witnesses. And so you, you see this just slow progression drawn from love, right? It's just me and you. You sinned against me. You wronged me. If they refuse to repent, then you, you bring two or three with you and then you're keeping that small. Everybody's covering over for the sake of, of love, and if they refuse this to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is what we see in Matthew 18, a lover, a love that covers a multitude of sin. A love that seeks the good for another. 
A love that seeks reconciliation and repentance. This is what God calls us to. And this is only possible as we keep loving one another earnestly, right? If we can't keep loving one another earnestly, then this kind of life is impossible. Church, listen, I will sin against you, okay? It will happen. If it hasn't already, which it probably has, I will sin against you. And when I do, you have an option. You can write me off. You can spread it around. You can separate me out. Or you can come to me privately and out of love seek my repentance and my reconciliation. This is why we say that in this church, we want to be marked out by a culture of grace. Not a single one of us is perfect. Not a one of us is able to pick up the first stone and throw it. And every single one of us will wrong another and we will be wronged by another. But if our lives are marked out by an agape love, a love that comes out of the grace of God, then we will show grace to one another. And we will keep loving one another earnestly. We won't excuse sin. We won't pass over sin. We will cover over the sin with love and grace and seek repentance and reconciliation for the good of the one who wronged us. Can we do that, church? Because that is what we must do. This is what God has called us to. And this is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. You know, I was preaching a a text on this. I guess maybe four years ago, around this time, because I remember using... Politics as an example. What what do they want to do to their political opponent? Magnify and expose every wrong ever committed. That's what the world does. It's not what we do. We're marked by grace. We're filled with love. We keep loving one another earnestly. And that love covers a multitude of sin. It covers it over with the grace of God. This is the effect of our love. And then lastly is the expression of love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since a love, since this love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This agape, this earnest, this stretching, long-suffering, sin-covering love then calls us to show hospitality to one another. To show hospitality means that you open yourself up. You don't close yourself off. 
That's what it means to show hospitality. You open yourself and you open your life and you open your homes up to one another. Now that is a scary thing. And that's a hard thing. Because we come from a world that when we open ourselves up to another, we open ourselves up to a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And when we get hurt, and when that dagger lands in our back, we close ourselves off and we say never again. The sad truth is that's not just in the world, is it? That's in the church too. That's been in this church. It's happened to me. I've opened myself up, be stabbed in the back. And you have a tendency to say, "Uh uh-uh, never again. You can forget it. I'm not letting anybody else close. But that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to show hospitality, to open ourselves up, not to close ourselves off. And that's a scary thing to do unless we keep loving one another earnestly. Because when we know this person loves me, this person loves me, and their love for me is going to cover the multitude of my sin, and I love them, and when they sin against me, I'm going to cover them in this agape love. We show hospitality. To show hospitality is to receive one another in love. That's what it means. John MacArthur points out that in the context, this refers to Christians, right? To show hospitality. And in um, this day in the Middle East, and even to this day in the Middle East, there, there is a big part of the culture is that of hospitality, to show hospitality, especially to strangers, but if a stranger is in need or a stranger is in want, you, you meet their needs if you're able. But here, this is a hospitality that is shown to believers. MacArthur says, this is both believers that you know and those that you don't know. And I thought, Why is that important? And then I I got to thinking, I'll tell you why this is important. Because there are times nearly every week, and there will be times regularly where believers come to this church that you don't know. And we have an option to close ourselves off or to show hospitality. And God's called us to show hospitality. We've been there where we closed ourselves off. And we've had people come and we've had people leave because of it. May we never be there again. We're called to show hospitality. And then I think Peter knows he's writing to a Baptist church. (laughs) Because he says do it without grumbling. How does he know me? How does he know me? To open ourselves up to show hospitality without complaining. Not with a begrudging heart, but with a heart full of love. Eager to love. 
eager to forgive, eager to encourage. Keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What is the excellency of love? It is that it is above all. What is the extent of love? It keeps loving earnestly. What is the effect of love? It covers a multitude of sin. And what is the expression of this love? Hospitality without grumbling. This is what we are called to, church. And this is only possible because God first loved us. This is how he's loved us. This is how he's called us. And this is what he's called us to. Now, when this is present in a local congregation no matter what suffering may come from the world, here we always find encouragement. This is not easy. This is hard. This is not natural. This is supernatural. But this is what God's called us to. This is what we must commit to. This is how we must behave and conduct ourselves one unto another. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.